Good evening. A blessing. Thank you for coming tonight. Um, it is. I can understand it when uh, the preacher says thank you for coming. We can receive the blessing that he has received through that labouring in word and doctrine. Thank you for your prayers. But uh, could we turn to Second Corinthians? We're going to be in that passage tonight. Chapter 3, starting, thanks Tony. The second epistle of Corinthians, of the Apostle Paul. Chapter 3, and we'll be actually going into chapter 4, through to verse uh, 8. So let's read, let's read it first, as we haven't read that part yet. So, Second Corinthians chapter 3. I'll be starting from verse 12, going through to chapter 4, verse... I'll just stop anyway at 8. Verse 12 of chapter 3. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty." For we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. And I'll just begin a bit here before we open in prayer, just to... In introducing where we're at and where we should be going, Lord willing. As we look at the beginning of our reading from verse 12, um, seeing then that we have such hope, the confidence which um, Paul speaks, we can see it as abundantly evident that he has no doubt whatever that the gospel which he faithfully proclaims it is assuredly true he has no doubt it is so manifestly true to him that literally what we see him stating if they don't believe it if those who have heard it do not accept it 
It must be, as we read there in verse 4 of chapter 4, that the God of this world, that is Satan, has blinded their minds. And as we would look at even his tone, because it says that saying, it's not how you say it, um, sorry, it's not what you say also, it's how you say it. The tone of his voice we can even see, which, um, which also I believe is influenced by your countenance in the Lord. And we, we'll look at that a little bit later. But of his conviction, which makes every word unmistakable as he pronounces it here. He believes and is sure and he is convinced that those who don't believe must be under the controlling influences of the devil. Now, today, this is actually, we see more and more not the ordinary style in which the gospel is preached, sadly. We come to the point where we may even hear men courtly apologise for actually stating anything as certain or you know because they're fearful maybe and that's the natural you know the old nature does spring those fears of you know narrow-mindedness or or being fanatical um and even to the point we're hearing today where even in christian circles my god is a god that wouldn't send anyone to hell so that should have raised alarm bells for us as we understand like the Apostle Paul did and proclaimed, as we'll look now. He was called. What did this babbler say? We know that from Acts. And that was a common question. But as a heralder of the cross of Christ, he made no short, short work of, you know, these uh, sceptics and babblers. And for He just went on like the others, as we see in the early church, declaring the gospel. And the one word, as we see throughout was this is from God. Thus saith the Lord, as we think in the Old Testament, this is from God. If you believe it, you'll be saved. You shall be saved. If you reject it, you'll be damned to hell. They made no bones about it. They spoke, we see, like men who believed their message and judged that if it left unbelievers literally without excuse as they declared it, as God gave it to them. So, literally, we see Paul coming to the point of, as we will look through these verses, what's the use of untying knots which are tied by the sceptics? They're only going to tie more. And if we have to deliver what God declares, um, if we only have to deliver what he has declared in his word to us, we have but a very simple task, do we not? It only gets complicated when the fear of man gets in the road and pride and we'll be looking at that. And But the Lord's way, it will lead to grand results through the power of the Spirit, as we said, saw there in 17 of chapter 3, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And we know Paul declared in chapter 4, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians, my... Well, sorry, we, we know that that's in Isaiah, but um, my word shall not return unto me void, Isaiah said. But Second Corinthians 4.1, the apostle said, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. He had himself once been, as we know, a persecutor of the church, pre-Acts 9. And he had been convinced of his error, 
in Acts chapter 9 because the Lord appeared to him, literally, and he saw the Lord and the Lord Jesus spoke to him. And this was to him a great deed of mercy, the Lord doing this to him and exposing him for who he was, how dark he was. And, and, and he, but he knew his sins were forgiven. He felt in his own heart that he was a regenerated man, a changed, a cleansed, a newly created uh, creature. And this was enough evidence. It was overwhelming to him that it was enough evidence that the gospel was from God. And to himself, at any rate, the gospel, as we see, was a truth past argument. He wasn't, it needed no other demonstration than what the marvellous effect was that he saw even upon his own life. And so, having received great mercy for himself, he judged that other men who were in need of that same mercy as he was, that it was the same gospel which had brought light and comfort to his own soul would bring salvation to them also. So let's pray as the Lord, as we go through some points here on this topic, well, subject, the true gospel is not concealed. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the remembrance around the table, Lord, of, 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 of your great love for us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we will, as we see Christ tonight, we pray that we'll be focused on the cross and, Lord, this wonderful message that can set men free, Lord. And as we prayed tonight, satisfying your just demands, not only of our own sins, but the whole world. And uh, may this help us in, our, in the challenge tonight, in, in the urgency of the hour, Lord, we pray, as you would bless us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Firstly, the gospel in itself is a glorious light. We'll be going from verse 12 to 16 there, as we've already read, but looking at some words there. For example, hope. Seeing then that we have such hope in verse 12 of chapter 3, the fact that this light will never fade or become dim. Paul, if we read from the start of chapter 3, but he also mentioned in verse 13 where we read, had been speaking of Moses with the veil over his face. The apostle points um, also, uh, as we read there in verse 13, and that is taken from Exodus 34, which I won't go there, verse 29 to 35. And, uh, but for the first time, see, we, we, the Apostle Paul points out here in verse 13 that the glory on Moses' face was a fading glory. He mentions this for the first time. It's not pointed out. The fact that Moses put the veil on his face in Exodus 34 was the fact that the glory was fading. It was... The people of Israel didn't know, but it was a fading... It was giving away to another. It was See, that abolished there at the end of 13 is a passing away. And the end of verse 7 also, which glory was to be done away with the glory of what was the, the giving of the law at that time. But it was only newly instituted, as we read there in Exodus. And it was that which shone on Moses' face. But as it 
come away from God and spoke to the people. It dimmed and Moses put a veil. I thought the veil was to cover the glory of, um, but he spoke with God and covered it after speaking with God as we as I've started to understand. But let's think of this um, giving away to another glory, which we read in chapter 4. And uh, see, at the verse 13, the word end has two meanings, purpose and finish. And when we think back at the children of Israel, they didn't understand the purpose of Moses putting the veil on his face, covering, yes, it was shone, it shone from the, the glory of God up on the mount when he was being given the law. But it prevented them from seeing the finish of the glory as it faded away, which also prevented them from understanding the purpose behind the fading glory, the purpose being it was, um, well, to be replaced by another greater glory. So as we read from verse 14 and 15, the veil over the face of Moses in the Old Testament, as we read, their minds, we're talking about the children of Israel in the Old Testament in verse 14, their minds were blinded for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. This is the veil over the face of Moses. But then we read which veil is done away with in Christ. We're seeing the glory that replaced the glory of the Old Testament. To the veil now, as we read in verse 15, on the hearts of the Jewish people this day, the day that the Apostle is writing this to this letter, but even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts still. And so, and then we read verse 16, Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. We see that little word, it, and that's talking about, well, you know, the Jew as an individual in the early church, if they repented toward God and put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, his eyes of his heart were open to the true Messiah that had come, the Lord Jesus. Or we can think as a nation, as they will repent one day, we know, as is prophesied, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith as the true Messiah who had already come. The veil shall be taken away. So what happens is they will, they will turn from trying to obtain righteousness on the principle of doing the law. And uh, when they truly repent and put their faith in Christ. And so the Paul, is, Paul sees um, clearly Moses and the purpose that... Um, was there in that veil upon his face, and how it? Um, he, as we go, as we look in the New Testament now, like we're in the New, but as we read in chapter four in a minute, just the the greater glory of Jesus Christ. See, the Apostle Paul is saying our gospel wears no veil but it exhibits all the glory of its countenance to the sons of men, which 
has its eternal purpose of bringing many sons to glory, many people to Christ, children of becoming children of God. And just thinking of key word, just in the verses we read before, if we can go away, emphasised here tonight, um, let's notice the word glory as we read through and look at this study. So in countless places it is described in the New Testament. This is the light which has, we know, come into the world. First John, John 2.8 The darkness is past and the true light now shineth. And what we see is the gospel, as we read there, the glorious gospel of Christ reveals the glory of Christ. That is, it reveals the glory of Christ. It tells us that he is the eternal son of the Father, by whom, as we know from the New Testament in Colossians 1, by whom all things were made, and for whom all things were created, and by whom all things continue to exist. This is the gospel. This might... Um, not have been good news to us if it just stood alone, just that understanding, but it's always good for us as a creature to know who our creator is, to be informed. But what we see is the gospel further reveals to us the ever-blessed son whom we have just remembered around the table of the Lord, of the highest came down to earth in what is immeasurable compassion, he did, he came down, great kindness, and mercy, and he took upon himself our nature, and was born at Bethlehem, and became as truly man as he was, assuredly God. We just see so much doctrine as we think of the gospel, and just what Paul, because the Second Corinthians was written to the Corinthian church, because he had a lot of people even denying his apostleship, um, a lot of ex-Judaized Christians wanting to. And filter a bit of law into Christianity because that's it, it was what they all they what they had known all their lives that doing that um, ceremony and, and, and habitual practice and it was just too easy it seemed this by faith and so he's having to defend, defend his apostleship because they're accusing him of not being apostle because but he we know he saw the Lord in Acts chapter nine the Lord spoke to him personally. And um, and they're trying to just, just, the devil is using them, obviously. And so what we need to see, this, like the, in music, the first note of the gospel, and when the Lord Jesus came to earth and was born, and there was, you know, the angels were rejoicing in heaven singing, and the shepherds who kept their Flocks by night, and the, you know the first carols of Christmas um, rung out that midnight sky. Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, as we know. And it could not but mean peace to men that God should become man. It could not mean mercy to the guilty that the Son of God should be born in their race as the Son of Man. So it must be. Good news to us that the offended one should take upon himself the nature of the offender. So the first, what we could say, pure gospel music rung out and made glad the ear of understanding for mankind. The Lord God of unlimited great power became Emmanuel, God with us. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Now he gained a greater glory by laying aside his divine glory. 
And the gospel also tells us that this same mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, dwelt here among men, preaching and teaching and working miracles of matchless mercy, many receiving him. Um, he received many himself to even the lowest of people and, and bowing himself to the least of the race of people, as we would say today. But we um, read about these people in the Gospels and we know that drew unto him publicans and sinners and they came to hear him, the ones that were the lowest in the society, the outcast. And again, he even took little children into his arms and blessed them and said, Suffer little children, come unto me and forbid them not. And this was a gospel about all that he did and glory which men are, you know, who are pure in heart, both see and admire. Now we do with the Spirit of God in our hearts we, 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 as we get to know the Lord more in our relationship with him. His life was good news, the good news of the gospel. And it was good news that God should dwell among men. It should be, and being found in fashion as a man. And as we understand the humility, hopefully it, it helps break our pride, broken um, spirit, a broken and a contrite heart that wilt not despise, says the Lord. The God that hates sin, hopefully it helps us to see God's hatred of sin, whose wrath burns against iniquity, literally, as we understand, tabernacled among sinners and saw and felt their evil ways, and he prayed for them. Father, forgive them. His glory lay, literally, in his being so patient, long-suffering, gentle and self-sacrificing, and yet just and true. And John, we know, said in John 1.4, and uh, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But let's think of the gospel's biggest bell, which rings out the clearest note. It is the Son of Man in due time gave himself for our sins, as we've remembered, making an offering of his whole human nature, as we've said tonight, as a propitiation, as satisfying the just demands of a holy God for the guilt of mankind. And here is the excessive glory of love what is um, a sight it is when we read him in the Garden of Gethsemane with um, our load of guilt upon him, the blood sweat that was forced from it as we read in the Gospel of Luke and to see him bearing that weight on the cross and there hanging literally in agonies of death, bearing the desertion of his father and all the thick clouds of, of darkness that came of it dying the just for the unjust to bring us to God, the dark clouds of our sin. So never more can a glorious thing be said of him that for our sakes was obedient unto death. And I know these are verses you've heard over and over, but hopefully it helps just in our other points as we think of even, yes, that death, the death of the cross. And 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 um, as, as we personally... Think of the hymn writer, Jesus paid it all. And what it means, all to him I owe. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. And we know that Peter said that was the precious blood of Jesus. And 
The gospel we preach is of substitution. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Substitution that Jesus stood in the sinner's place and bore the sinner's stead, which was due of the law of God, of the law of, as we know, Moses represented the law on account of man's transgressions. And let's read verse 12. Seeing that then we have such hope, as I've just sort of gone through, as the Apostle Paul says, we use great plainness. That word plainness means boldness. And this is a man that prayed for boldness. And we read in one of his epistles saying, Pray for me to the church that I may open my mouth boldly that I may make known the mystery of the gospel. And so we rejoice that... um, Do we not with great hope ourselves, Lord willing? For he that died was also risen from the dead and he has borne our nature up into glory and there he wears it at the Father's right hand, being able to make intercession for us And, and his loving heart is still occupied with that same divine mission today that brought him down here below to earth. And he is by that intercession, interceding, saving sinners, whom he purchased with his own life's blood. He is able to save them from the uttermost, who came to God, unto God by him, seeing he always lives to make intercession for them. This is the gospel of the glory of Christ. It is our Lord's glory that he meditates between or mediates between man and God, pleading for the unjust ones, using all his all-prevailing argument, the blood which he has shed. So as we think of this first thought, the gospel in itself is a glorious light. It reveals God also. as we've just looked at the revealing of the glory of Christ. In all his greatness and goodness that leadeth men to repentance. Verse 4, at the last part there of chapter 4. The gospel of Christ, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The image of God. Did not Jesus say, He that has seen me has seen the Father? He is the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of his person. Our Lord himself said, I and my Father are one. Christ is the image of God as we see in this sense, that he shows us what God is. If you know the character of Jesus of having spent much time with him, you know the character of God. God himself, yes, is invisible and is not seen of the mortal eye. Neither can he be comprehended of finite mind. Yes, we see him in creation, the power and the glory of the heavens declare, but we know that um, he cannot indeed be truly known at all except as we know by the teaching of the Holy Spirit as we read there in verse 17. Only the Spirit of God can bring about spiritual understanding, spiritual transformation. Now that is... Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But um, all that can be known of God is quite 
written in literally the capital letters of the Lord Jesus. So we read his life through the Gospels, his person and work, and, and let the sceptics see if they could improve it. Can you suggest anything, can they, that should be left out or anything that could be added to his life that would make it more holy? And we see and hear testimonies of many that have been saved, praise the Lord, trying to do that. He is God and in him we see God, our Saviour, we see God. So the, thus the gospel is full of what we see as light, revealing first what we've looked at, the mediator, and then the Lord God himself. The gospel of the glory of Christ is really, it's light to us. Illumination, it is the lighting up of the soul to know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. It is the light to the understanding to be able to see that only begotten has, re has revealed the Father. And... Uh, we think of Acts chapter 17 when the world maybe was nearest to the truth when they called him the unknown God. Apostle Paul on Mars Hill. See, the wisdom of the world began to define and describe what they thought the deity was. They had, no, they had not the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ. They, so then it proved that... it. Professing themselves wise, they became fools. It proved their own foolishness. The world by wisdom knew not God. Now, uh, as we think of even the church of this Laodicean age, as we understand, we're at the end of the apostate age, we believe. It seems none of the churches today, that have, they seem to not know the one true God of heaven the one of righteousness, of righteous judgment. And we ask the question, why? Because they don't know his son. Now, never did such another light shine upon the sons of men. Nothing. He, um, there is no more sacrifice for sins. Neither for instruction, um, or comfort in any other way can this truth be rivaled so you know many tearful eye that have been very burdened and, and, and um, in pain have been brightened and flat with, you know with the light oh the joy unspeakable the joy of our salvation we, we read of having Christ to be our saviour and in that fellowship with him growing and the glorious God to be our father now he is rich to all the intents of joy who know this he is very rich this is the light and anything else is only darkness now we move on secondly the gospel in itself is most plain and clear as we read from verse 17 now the Lord is that spirit where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty now we know it talks of, well, it's the Holy Spirit that um, opens the eyes, as we see there in 18, of our heart. And we, with open face, not covered, not veiled. But as we think of the Old Testament back earlier with Moses, he alone was only allowed to see the glory of the Lord on the mount. And only we know once a year the high priest was able to go into the Holy of Holies. Under the new 
as we see here, way, we all have the privilege, as we see there in verse 17 and 18, but we all with open face. See, everything is clear and open. The glass, as we read, is the mirror of the word of God reflecting the glory of Christ. Christ is mirrored in the word as we read it. And we see Moses' face had to be covered, veiled, after he had finished speaking. But we can have unveiled face, open face, by confessing and forsaking sin, being completely honest with God all the time. And that is a, not only a great privilege, but it comes with a great responsibility as um, we, we do need to, the Lord tells us about having to give an account in the time that he gave us in being saved. And, well, everyone will have to give an account of themselves to God. But we, And so may that just stir in us this, um, you know, that thought of just having that close relationship of how important it is in reflecting the glory of God through that reading it in the word and seeing it as a mirror that we can be changed into the same image from glory to glory. That is progressive sanctification, growing day by day. And we looked at that on Friday night at youth group. Only by the spirit. We can't do it in our our own strength. We have to be born again. The spirit of God being not quenched, active in our life, being filled, the Bible calls it, controlled by the Spirit of God through that continual relationship with him. And so Moses' face, as we look at verse 18, reflected glory. Our faces radiate glory from inside. Change. That word change there is the same word translated as we see from transfigured in the Gospels when the Lord Jesus was transfigured on the mount. And it describes a change on the outside that comes from the inside. Now, our English word metamorphosis metamorphosis is a transliteration of this Greek word. Metamorphosis, thank you, describes the process that changes an insect from a larva into a papa and then into a mature insect. The changes come from within, with that process, that word changed. So the gospel contains nothing which can confuse anybody unless they wish to be confused. Now, today certain teachers like to preach a puzzling gospel. And that's because um, it's the desire of the natural man to have a status of wisdom in the judgment of the foolish that they're talking to. Now... There's a quote, a man has never fairly mastered a subject until he is able to communicate his thoughts on that subject so that a person of ordinary intelligence can tell what he means. There's a saying, I don't know how true it may be all the time, but it was used at TAFE with our TAFE teachers when people were disappointed in them. There are those who can't do it, teach it, and those who do do it can do whatever the job or task is, do it. But in Christianity, we see there is a teaching and doing by our lives being open, as we read there in 18. We have to be doers. Um, 
as well as teachers. In anything but the glory of Christ is but the gospel of human inventing or human trying to do, mixing law with grace. And so maybe we could think, suppose the gospel consisted in terrible mysteries, bristling with matters hard to be understood. Suppose maybe it required 18 volumes of books to be read before you could see what it was trying to say. Now, maybe we needed mathematical precision or classical elegance before we could see it. What we realise is millions would never get to heaven. God gives wisdom to understand mathematical principles and that's where we understand Christians who are the introducers of what was schools and taught people to read so they could read the Bible. Man has only got to the moon, we could say, or built great engineering wonders of the world through the wisdom of God. We understand that. And he's the one to receive the glory in that aspect. But with the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel, as the Apostle Paul described it, it is a lamp that continues to burn. And we have hope, um, hope for everyone. And therefore, we proceed to state the way by which a sinner may return to God, as we've, as we've shared. So we tell them that Jesus came into the world to save sinners and that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that word manifestation again has two meanings there as we read in, back, uh, in verse 2 of ch- chapter 4. The teaching and doing, manifesting the truth through what they taught and what they actually did in their, and their countenance. So... Now, thirdly, if the gospel be hid, it's to our hearers, it is a fateful sign. Verse 3 and 4. It is a very fatal sign to them. Not to believe or understand or appreciate or accept the gospel is a sign of perishing. Now, just trying, as we see the Apostle Paul putting it very plainly, that basically he who does not receive the gospel because they say they cannot understand it, that they say they, these people that, They see nothing remarkable in it. Now, he knows he has plainly preached it with great boldness. It is so plain in itself that now it's hid. It's hid from their eyes because he's he's going to tell them that God, the devil, has blinded your minds. Now, you should have, because of verse 2 tells, you know, the gall of bitterness they're in, dishonesty. They're in the bonds of iniquity, you know, not walking in craftiness or nor handling the word of God deceitfully. That's, they, that's what they had renounced and they were able to see the truth, the light. And that's what these unbelievers had to do. So these are the dark clouds of sin, of, of pride, of unforgiveness. And by sinful pride, your judgment is perverted and your heart is hardened. While you're among the unbelieving, the Apostle Paul is saying, you are among the perishing. To them that are lost, verse 3. And the God of this world, the devil, blindfolds you. Now, as believers, our prayer of intercession for unbelievers should be, we pray, O Lord, open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And... Uh, And as we see the text, he that believes not on Jesus is a lost 
person, a lost soul. And you have lost yourself to the right of joy and of heaven. See, in John 3, we know that he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed on the Son of God. Now, we just press those two words upon, just thinking in our, on the one we're trying to plead with on their conscience, condemned already, lost even now, perishing. That is to say, you are gradually passing into that condition in which you must abide forever in that state. If something like a simple faith in a simple gospel brings salvation, why not have salvation? Why abide still in unbelief? Now the apostle, we see him explain in verse 4 how a man gets into that condition. Satan, the god of this world, has blinded their minds. And what a thought that is that Satan should set himself up to be a God, and we see that written in the little g, but Christ is the image of God, Satan is the imitator of God, and he holds much power over men's minds and thoughts that don't believe. And to maintain his power, as he's working today hard at it, he takes great care that his deceived should not see the light of the gospel. And he'll even pose as an angel of light to keep them from seeing the true light. And we could see the veils, the coverings that he uses are such as man's selfish hearts very much approve of. And if you were to become a Christian, he says to them, you would never get on in this world. If you were to become a Christian, you will be laughed at. You'll financially be ruined. So this wicked enemy perverting the human judgment until the sight of the midday sun can even be seen no more by man, even in all its blazing glory, desensitized, literally, as we would understand, even to reprobate to anything spiritual. For in the preaching of the gospel, this simplicity is preserved. This is my last point, a short point. Great boldness of speech, as we see there in verse 12 of chapter 3. My speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power, 1 Corinthians 2.4. The Apostle Paul, we know, was a deep thinker. He was a lawyer of the law, a man of profound insight and a subtle mind. We know, as he testified, in Acts, to lengths and craftiness that he thought up and endured even to cause havoc of the church, chasing them far away in other countries and towns to, to bring them to what he thought was justice. He, he went against now as seeing the light and being saved gloriously. He went against his natural inclination, the power of God unto salvation. And now he devotes all his energies to the unveiling of the gospel in all its simplicity by repentance and faith. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, um, I determined not to know anything among men save Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
He determined. He was very resolute. And he had made up his mind or he would not have accomplished it. What we see the Lord used him for. He was the man who wrote some things to be hard to be understood as Peter made mention of. But when he came to the gospel, the glorious gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, he would have nothing but simplicity there. He was tender among them as a nurse with her child. He made himself literally an instructor of babes, dwelling out the word with such plainness as children would require, the milk of the word, and trying to encourage them to get on a bit of meat of the word doctrine and so they would grow and be a testimony to the rest of the community. The true man of God will not veil the gospel beneath performances or ceremonies or tradition. What does he say about this? Mark those who do this and avoid them. We see many doctrines, this doctrine of separation and all that, even in um, the Apostle Paul as he dealt with many of it. May it be, as we have to give an account, may that be the, the, um, you know, the fear of the Lord in our in our lives, in 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 wanting to in our relationship that develops not just by fear but by appreciation and thankfulness, and because uh, we have to give an account before the Lord of Glory that it, that our one desire should be to manifest the whole truth and nothing but the truth. To, to Through that, people's conscience would be touched as they realise they have offended God greatly through the breaking of the law. The law is to bring them to the cross and no further. Christ will work in their hearts to bring them to repentance and faith. So the Lord can win their hearts if we do this. And... If they see not the light when we've obeyed the truth, it is because, as the Apostle Paul said, it's not because I've hidden it from you. Just in finishing, concluding, as we would ask some question, is the God of this world your master? If he must be, you do not see the glory of the gospel, but he need not be your God any longer. While we have breath, there is still life and we have an opportunity to seek the Lord while he may be found and call him while he is near. The wicked can have the opportunity to forsake their way and the unrighteous man, his thoughts, and he will abundantly pardon. So why um, should we ignore him? Or why, or the question might be asked by ungodly why should we adore him what good has he ever ever done what is there about his character that makes him worthy to be your God we need to that is the, the God of this world I was talking the devil what has he ever done for you we need to break off his yoke but the change which now hold you still his slave the true God has come in the flesh to set you free and to destroy all the works of the devil. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Maybe 
in one instant, sins that have taken you 50 years to accumulate shall disappear. The transgressions of all your days shall be cast, as we know, as far as from the east as from the west, and shall be found no more. Only be willing and obedient, and as we read in Romans 6, yield ourselves to the incarnate God, who always lives to take care of those who put their trust in him. Now may the Lord bless you, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we um, forever, eternally in heaven, as we will be with him. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We just thank you for the Apostle Paul enduring such contradiction of, of, of us, Lord, false teachers and scoffers, Lord, as he endured much, even was stoned, Lord, nearly to death. And we thank you for his patience and, and just the testimony of the Lord Jesus in his life that we have today that has brought the gospel to us, Lord, even here, the uttermost places of the world from where it first went out from, Lord. Lord, we pray, uh, I believe, we, we, if we examine ourselves as we looked at on Wednesday night, Lord, to, to see whether we be in the faith, to prove our own selves, Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there a living relationship with a living God? happening in our lives Lord if not Lord we need to really look at ourselves our profession and make sure that Lord we know through repentance toward God what it means help us as we would even cry out to you Lord in breaking our heart and Lord that may come with things that we that that are in our lives you may take from us that are very dear to us Lord as, as you would get our attention, Lord, we pray. We pray this because we pray that you can do that. You can break even the hardest of hearts, Lord. And so may we be diligent in interceding for the unsaved, Lord, that uh, they would know and understand the truth that can set them free, Lord, we pray, as we would simply uh, give it as the gospel according to the scriptures. Lord, as Jesus died, he was buried and he rose again, Lord, victorious. And uh, we ask these things now and thank you for this night in Jesus' name. Amen.